Welcome to The Curriculum, a podcast by Cornerstones Education. Here we discuss all things curriculum, plus leadership issues, teaching tips and much, much more. Hi everyone, in today's podcast I'll be talking to Jonathan Lear, who is a well-known author, educational consultant, deputy head teacher and award-winning teacher at an inner city primary school in Sheffield. Many of you will know Jonathan through his Twitter handle, Gorilla Ed. Jonathan and I will be discussing his journey through curriculum design, the importance of curriculum principles and the role of pedagogy. I'm also delighted to announce that Jonathan will be joining us as a keynote speaker at the eight free curriculum design events that we're running in coastal locations around the country from January to April 2020. The events are perfect if you're a head teacher, senior or subject leader and you'd like to know a little bit more about the essential steps to building an outstanding curriculum and how to use pedagogy to refine your approach. It's also an opportunity to meet other schools in your region, share curriculum ideas and inspection experiences. The half-day events are free to attend and lunch is provided. We're offering two places per school. All the details are on our website. Thanks for listening and now it's on to the podcast. Hello Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thanks very much. Nice to be here. Well, I'm very excited to have you here because I've been itching to interview after seeing your talk at the Hallam Edfest earlier this year in June. And also I've read your book, The Monkey Proof Box, which we can talk about later. So I'm so excited to be working with you now on our curriculum event tour. And again, we'll talk about that in a bit. But first, let's just dive in there and say many listeners and your followers on social media may know you as Gorilla Ed. So I think first, could you just explain what that stands for and what the meaning is behind it? Yeah, definitely. Uh, the title of my first book was uh, Gorilla Teaching. Uh, and really that came from, uh, as a young teacher, just really getting sick of being kind of doing as I was told, I suppose. Um, I've been teaching now for, for over 20 years and I first started teaching with the national strategies and then various versions of curriculum since then. And really, I suppose I started like ignoring stuff and and focusing on what I believe to be important mm. uh, and that idea of of being a bit militant to begin with it was just me in my classroom I suppose but but then I realized that you, you could be militant as a whole school and really all of our work on curriculum has developed from that so us deciding what's right for our children and uh, doing it really in spite of what we're told. Mm. And could you tell us about the work you currently do now what you're working on? Uh, at the moment uh, I'm having a fantastic time to be honest uh, I'm a deputy head at St Catharines so I'm uh, completely involved with learning curriculum but I also work with a company called Independent Thinking and thanks to them I get to travel around the country and speak and work with different schools and teachers. I've written books, uh, you mentioned the, the Monkey Proof Box, that's uh, my latest one and, and really I'm loving the, the new emphasis on a, on a broad curriculum. Mm. Um, you know, It's taken the powers that be too long to recognise it's important but now that they have uh, it's exciting. It is, yes. I mean, we're really excited about it here and it is the, the essence of education, isn't it? It's how you develop your curriculum at school. Now, you've developed your own curriculum at St Catherine's School in Sheffield back when the new national curriculum was brought out. What did you decide would be the purpose of your curriculum there? 
I think when we started, we we went back to, to a broad understanding of, of the purpose of education and the aims of, of education, really. There was a book that we'd come across uh, by uh, Gert Biester called The Beautiful Risk of Education. And it had this brilliant idea in it, this idea of uh, the purpose of education being to do with human flourishing. And so I suppose, you know, really going back to thinking about what we wanted for our children. And when we started those conversations, we, we realised that the things we were talking about were to do with those young people being knowledgeable, resilient, uh, empathetic, creative, uh, independent people. Mm. Um, and, and some of those things I've just mentioned, they're, they're, they're a bit frowned on in the current climate. Um, you know, they might be classed as generic learning and thinking skills. But for us, none of that stuff represents the content of the curriculum. It's about byproducts. You know, I don't believe you can teach explicitly resilience or, or creative thinking or empathy, but you, you can create the conditions for these things to develop. And, and that's the risk bit, because you can't measure those things. So mm. there's always a temptation just to to concentrate on the stuff that you can quantify but to build a curriculum without these aims for me that that's not education that's just production I think it'll resonate with a lot of people listening so that was back was that back in 2014 that you started working on your curriculum yeah that's right when that uh, that draft curriculum first came out first arrived in schools really Mm. Um, yeah that was the start of the work Um, and to be honest the the initial work the stuff I've spoken about so far the the purpose of education the aims you know it's really really important that stuff but it it didn't actually take that long the stuff that took a while is how we then dealt with the content of the curriculum and that's when you get into all of the kind of the sequencing and the progression of knowledge making sure that you're balancing propositional knowledge procedural knowledge Mm. that's the stuff that took a long time and it's completely essential because that's the stuff that underpins everything we do uh, and it's got to be done rigorously but it's a big job yeah and how I mean how long roughly did it take you and also I'm interested in who did it at your school because you're obviously a big part of it but how many members of staff did you have working on curriculum development? I think to begin with it was we all worked together we worked as a staff so rather than kind of going down the route of of working with uh, or working as subject leaders or in kind of subject silos uh, a lot of the development work we did together Mm. but then that means investing a lot of staff time a lot of staff meeting time a lot of development time a lot of inset twilight time to kind of get in those progressions right but the benefits of doing that I suppose is that that, like I say, you're all in it together, you all understand the process. Yeah, right from the very beginning, those core questions and discussions that you had. And then you said you didn't use subject silos or subject leadership at that stage, but then I assume people had to write the content. And how, how long did that process take? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we recognise individual subject disciplines. You know, it's, mm. um, we use a thematic approach. We use projects, inquiry-based learning. But essentially, you know, each of those subjects, they're different disciplines and yeah. they need dealing with differently in terms of the progression and sequencing of knowledge. And so, yeah, from those beginnings in terms of understanding the principle of curriculum design, uh, which was done as a staff, then again, there was individual work done. I did an awful lot of work using a solo taxonomy model to mm. develop a mastery approach uh, across the curriculum. You know, we were really interested in getting to the point where we could have conversations around what depth looked like in art and music and history and geography, as opposed to just in, in uh, English and maths. Mm. And again, that took, uh, that took a lot of work. Uh, and then that work was then kind of, in some cases, it was given to staff. So they had that kind of concrete foundation for curriculum and there were aspects of it were then tweaked and kind of developed as we went along. Yeah. 
did it take you a year or more to, to then finally get to a curriculum that you're all happy with or was it so yeah this that? is yeah we're talking about a number of years here from mm. that starting point like I say that draft curriculum arriving that was the real beginning of our work on curriculum mm. and then like I say it happened over years and we didn't try to do too much in one go I think that's been one of the strengths of the curriculum that we've developed you know we've made sure that we've embedded those early principles we embedded the progressions and, and, and things but again it takes time that's stuff i would never say we're at a point where we have developed curriculum it's still ongoing we're still continuing to develop it and look at it but i suppose at this point we've now got to some of the more interesting bits the bits around pedagogy the bits around learning mm -hmm. the kind of the enactment of that curriculum if you like yeah and and it's getting the content and doing all that groundwork has helped you get to that stage it's freeing you up to refine and think about your approach to teaching is that yeah, right yeah absolutely and you know when we first started talking about again those broad aims of of curriculum when we when we spoke about things like creative thinkers you know really we we knew it was desirable we knew we wanted it but we didn't know how to do it mm. um, you know it's easy to be a creative teacher it's it's easy to have a creative curriculum but neither of those things uh, necessarily lead to children who can think or work creatively you know it's that's all about our creativity and so we were interested in exploring that shift but until we had the foundations of the curriculum in place you can't get to that stuff you know and, and you shouldn't get to that stuff I think there is a right sequence in terms of curriculum design and we've got to get the foundation sorted first yes and then like I say we can get to the the kind of conditions we create in which we deliver the curriculum I know and I've, I've talked to you before about that analogy of a building you know it's it's the, it is if you imagine the foundations in place and then you're adding the refinements to that later aren't you like you say it's a sequence for development of a curriculum so Jonathan, you spoke earlier about the purpose behind your curriculum and here at Cornerstones we've spoken and written a lot about having a clear purpose and curriculum principles. I thought just to clarify what we mean by curriculum principles, these are values that a school believes will give children the best chance of succeeding and what you as a school know to be right given your context and this stage is crucial as it helps a school define and develop their curriculum intent. Each school designs their curriculum differently and has their own curriculum principles, whether or not you use a curriculum like Cornerstones or as Jonathan has done his own. You still make it your own. An example of a curriculum principle might be we want our children to experience the challenge and enjoyment of learning. And there are more curriculum principle examples on our website. I wondered, Jonathan, though, what you feel about curriculum principles and what principles were behind your own curriculum at St Catherine's. I think it's, uh, it's interesting because there are some things that actually are just shared amongst all schools mm. up and down the country and, and interestingly one of the things that I, I if I'm speaking to groups and we're, we're talking about purpose of education one of the things we go back to is trying to identify what those core things are I suppose in terms of what it is we want for young people and one of the the ways in which we do that is there's a, um, an image of a signpost that is in my first book Gorilla Teaching and it's just a, it's a signpost on a roundabout near uh, Lake Windermere in the Lake District but it's got these five symbols on and we use the signpost to kind of think about the the five symbols that would represent what we want for our young people mm. and frequently with with groups of teachers leaders TAs up and down the country whether they're working in early years in primary even through to secondary there tends to be one symbol that gets kind of put on a signpost first by by anyone in actively involved in working with young people and it's a smiley face it's that idea that we want our kids to be happy mm. and so like I say there is just some universal stuff but then beyond that you can get some variation which is interesting because that's when 
curriculum or the purpose of curriculum starts to be rooted in context in, in the context of your particular community the kids that you're serving and again for us in terms of context that was massively important to us when we started thinking about curriculum design you know we're in a very particular situation our school I suppose right. you know we're in Sheffield in inner city Sheffield Pittsmore Burngreave area we're an incredibly diverse school we've got about 43 different languages spoken across school we're in an area of high deprivation you know it's a really interesting and challenging in place to work and whatever curriculum we set about designing had to be the curriculum for our children for our families you know we wanted a model that created aspirational opportunities for our children we wanted them to have the chance to work on authentic projects uh, to to work alongside experts and professionals to be able to exhibit their work publicly you know we wanted really high standards for those children and we've had projects where where they've, they've done it they've worked alongside costume designers from the crucible theater in sheffield to design their own costumes we've had classes who've worked with engineers from rolls royce in to create professional blueprints. Some of our year fours worked with the the Sheffield Wildlife Trust to create a pond in the school grounds. Mm. And we really, we want our children to have as many experiences as possible as they move through school. Really, just so they get a sense of what's out there, of Mm. what's possible. Yeah, so you've really tailored it, haven't you? You've really thought about St Catharines and the community and also using Sheffield and the resources. I remember hearing you talk about the Crucible. I'm from Sheffield as well, so I just thought that was fantastic use of a local resource and expertise but rooted in that principle that you had that aim for the children to experience these things and to and to grow and grow their aspirations was it as well yeah I think sometimes you you don't know until you see it or you don't know until you experience it Um, Mm. and if we can have children who by the age of eight have published a book or have worked alongside a a range of different experts and professionals have curated exhibitions Mm. uh, um, you know within school outside of school then yeah maybe it does just kind of open eyes that's the hope and and again I'm I have a bit of a thing about kind of careers education in this country and I think it's a bit rubbish if I'm honest if I think about my experiences as a as a young lad growing up in the northeast again the kind of the the career pathways that were offered to me were it was limited mm. I think I sat in front of a computer and completed some careers questionnaire yeah, I remember it's just that. ridiculous yeah. uh, at the end of it I must have been there 20 minutes and the career it just it popped out one career at the end it wasn't even a range of careers mm. and it told me I should be a French polisher it's phenomenal um <laughs> I know this is utterly bizarre and I don't I don't know whether an awful lot's changed I don't think it's it's all right to have a careers day or a careers week or to roll some professionals into school once in a while I think that might work for some kids in some places but Mm. again if you're working in an area of high deprivation or you're from a a working class community it's it's not good enough that and again I think what we're interested in is that drip feeding of aspiration let's get them in early and from the moment they're in school Let's, let's have them working alongside these people, these professionals who do things mm-hmm. in the real world. And, and like I say, let's, let's show them what's out there. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And uh, just moving on now, actually, to because we, we're obviously working together and we're, we're going to put on these events in coastal locations. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But as part of the work that you're doing with us, you've had a look at the tool that we've developed, Curriculum Maestro. And I know you've got some thoughts, because obviously you don't use cornerstones in your school. You've developed your own. What do you think of what Curriculum Maestro will be able to provide for schools who are maybe at the early stage, like you were, thinking about their curriculum principles? What's your first thoughts having looked at it with Simon? What I like about Maestro is that it is different. 
you know there's flexibility there and you can make it your own and if it's used in the right way it encourages exactly the kind of conversations that we should be having around curriculum in our schools it's funny actually because I was in a school earlier this week who were using Maestro and I was impressed with how they talked about curriculum you know it was clear they weren't just delivering a product they thought really hard about it and about how to make it work for their particular school their particular context the other thing that had helped them was the sequencing and mapping of curriculum and and whether you do this for yourself like we've done or, or you use something like Maestro it's got to be done and sometimes having it done for you means you can fast forward to the good bits the, the pedagogy yeah I'm really glad to hear that because that's the aim of it really is that you can see that sequencing and it is hard to sometimes identify how aspects develop over time or knowledge and skills so it's really good to hear you've seen that. So something I know you've written about a lot and I heard you speak at the Hallam Edfest about Jonathan is pedagogy and obviously if you know Cornerstones you're listening you know that our curriculum's based on a four-stage pedagogy and we believe it's so important to have that in a wider sense what is the role of pedagogy in your opinion Jonathan with curriculum delivery or even just in a school in any school context I think really it's it's the bit we need to get to because it's the bit that makes or breaks a curriculum you know, it's it's all very well having your curriculum intent and all of your sequencing and your mapping done, but ultimately it boils down to what's going on in those classrooms, and we can't lose sight of that. So on on the tour, uh, what I'll be talking about will be pedagogy. It'll be about the kind of conditions that we can create for children when we've got the structure of curriculum right. Because for me, like I say, that's the almost the interesting bit in terms of getting into it. So you know, if we're talking about things like empathy, things like creative thinking again you, you can't explicitly teach that stuff but you can create the conditions or equally you cannot create the conditions and that boils down to like I say what goes on in classrooms and what goes on with teachers and and I suppose the the success or effectiveness of any curriculum is totally dependent on that you know the teachers are absolutely key yeah and I've read recently actually it was in the Ofsted framework about subject leads so I mean I assume that's any teacher really in a primary now having a good pedagogical knowledge of of subjects how they're taught so it is something that's on the radar nationally and I've been in schools where they've had specific training for teachers on pedagogy so yeah I think it's going to be talked about more and more looking at the events now Jonathan we've got the first one in Grimsby on the 23rd of January and we've got seven others and we've chosen to do them around the coast of England and I know you were born in Middlesbrough and grew up on the coast why do you think the coastal areas are important places to go to to and to talk about education I think sometimes they're just they're just left out you know you get the big conferences and, and CPD focused on the big cities mm. and, and places like that and you know it's good to get out and about and try and make sure that everyone's included like you say I'm, I grew up in Middlesbrough uh, in the northeast and you know there's challenges in places like that but they also tend to get a bit of a negative press uh, you know it'll be good to go and find out about the great stuff that's happening in places mm. like that and support it Exactly, and we know, so. I mean, I know so many schools around coastal areas, around Ghoul and around the Grimsby area that are doing such fantastic work, and it is, it's about celebrating as well as just going there because of, sometimes it's transport, sometimes it's teacher recruitment, there are issues that these schools face, but when people get together and 
talk together, talk to other schools and network. It's great things can happen and are happening. So also, as well as yourself, Jonathan, we've also got Simon Hickton, who's our founder and managing director here at Cornerstones. And he'll be talking everyone through the six essential steps of designing a successful curriculum. And the other good thing about these regional events is that we've invited a school from the area, actually, to come and talk about their own curriculum design journey and the impact it's having. So it really is a great free opportunity to find out how to develop and really refine your curriculum in a way that is right for your school while meeting of course the Ofsted requirements so we've come to the end of the podcast Jonathan it's been really fascinating talking to you I know you've got a lot more to say and you're writing an article for our magazine which is really exciting thank you so much for coming in today brilliant thanks for having me it's been Um, brilliant so all the details are on the website if you'd like to come and listen to Jonathan speak uh, and to find out more about curriculum development then we really look forward to seeing you there and thank you ever so much for listening Goodbye for now.